this week on Hope for the Broken. Have you ever been tempted to bypass God? To take matters into your own hands? When we grow impatient and waiting on God's direction, when we allow our fears and our anxiety about what the future might hold to overtake us and we turn to other forms of wisdom than that of God, what happens when we grow dependent on an eight ball kind of faith instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ? Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Life Lessons. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part 22, titled, Bypassing God. Well, listen, we are in the middle of a teaching series right now called Life Lessons. We're studying the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And last week, while my family and I were away, you guys were blessed by Aaron Blankenship, who just did an absolutely fantastic job. Uh, I went back and listened to it. And uh, man, just really the Lord spoke through Aaron to even my own heart. And I know he did that to you as well. And, and so today we come to chapter 28 of first Samuel and we're approaching the runway. This is our descent into the end of first Samuel. We're, we're going to be landing the plane in a matter of a couple of weeks. And here again, even in chapter 28, the plot thickens. You know, when I was a kid, I can remember some friends of mine would have a, what was called a magic eight ball. Anybody remember the magic eight ball? All right. It, it, for those of you that don't know what that is, it was a giant plastic ball that was uh, made to look like the eight ball on a pool table. And the idea behind it is that you would shake it up, you would ask it a question, and you'd flip it around, and then it would reveal an answer to, to your question. Now, I never owned one because I'm pretty sure my parents thought that it was straight from the devil, right? And, and it may have been, right? Uh, but uh, I remember how people were fascinated by it. And, and I began to think, what is the fascination of this eight ball? Well, I think that there is a curiosity of, uh, within our hearts where we would love to know the future. We would love to know how things were going to pan out in our lives. And, and that magic eight ball kind of played on that idea. Well, chapter 28 of 1 Samuel, Saul finds himself in a very desperate situation, wanting to know what the future holds, and he grew too impatient to wait on God's direction. He, he, he prayed about it, but then he got to a point where he said, well, I can't wait for God to respond to me. And so he bypassed God and he consults a medium. And that is the title of this morning's message, Bypassing God. Have you ever been tempted to bypass God, to take matters into your own hands? When we grow impatient and waiting on God's direction, when we allow our fears and our anxiety about what the future might hold to overtake us and we turn to other forms of wisdom than that of God, what happens when we grow dependent on an eight ball kind of faith instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ? We're going to see this played out in 1 Samuel 28. I want to go through the story, and then I want to take a look at a couple of life lessons that we can apply to our lives today. 
Now, by way of background information, these last four chapters of 1 Samuel actually take place on a battlefield. In chapter 28, a battle is brewing. A war is brewing. The nation of Israel and the Philistines are on the brink of war. The Philistines, all throughout the book of 1 Samuel, and really through a significant part of the Old Testament, were the arch enemies of the Jews. They had become a military powerhouse, and they were a constant threat to Israel. And here they were, positioning themselves to pounce. And actually, the timing was right. When you think about a military strategic background point, the timing was right for Philista to capture the the Israelites. Because Saul the king had become so hyper-focused on eliminating David because of the threat that David somehow posed to his leadership, to his throne, he had become so hyper-focused that he had neglected his duties to protect the nation of Israel. And so Philista was ready to pounce. David, the next anointed king, had been running for his life. He actually has now found refuge in and amongst the Philistines, believe it or not. David lied. He was deceptive. He had convinced the Philistine king that he was actually on their side, fighting on their behalf. But again, they were, that was a falsehood. And so here the Philistines had every bit of confidence. Saul's distracted. David is on our side. Now's the time to pounce. So let's look what happens. 1 Samuel 28, you follow along in your copy of God's word. Let's begin in verse 1, work our way through this, and take a look at two life lessons this morning. Scripture says, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now, just by way of reference, Achish is not a name of a person. It's actually a title. The title Achish is the title reserved for the king of the Philistines. Now, it's much like Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh was not his name. Pharaoh was a position in Egypt. So when we say and hear Achish, David is directly talking to the king of the Philistines. And he had developed a relationship with the Philistine king, but it was built on deception. See, David was raiding the surrounding enemies of Israel by telling the king he was actually working for the Philistines. And as a result, the king bought the lie. He considered David an asset and ordered David to attack alongside him. Now you'll notice that David is very strategic in his reply. He says, you shall know what your servant can do. And what he meant by that was, you're going to finally see that I've actually been working against you. And at this point, the camera pans back to King Saul and all that he has going on. Verse 3, now Samuel had died and all Israel mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Now, what are mediums and what are necromancers? Those are two words that I want to define for us this morning. A medium is someone who attempts to communicate with spirits. Think a psychic. Think a a fortune teller, a horoscope writer. Now, a necromancer is someone that attempts to talk with the dead. Saul had expelled these types of people. 
And more than likely, Saul did that early on in his kingship when he was still following the Lord. Because as we're going to see in just a moment, the Lord says that believers in him, followers in him, are to take part of none of that. Consulting mediums or talking and visiting with, with the dead. God's word is very clear on these things. And so at the beginning, Saul was following that word. Now that's important because that sets the stage of what happens. Verse 4. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. In other words, his heart sank. I think Saul came to the realization, I have abandoned my duties, I've neglected what I should be doing, and I focused on the wrong things, and now I'm going to, I'm facing, I'm about to have to pay the piper. So look what Saul does, verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, oh, so now you want to consult God. Ever been there? God, I didn't study for this test, but I sure could use you right now, right? This is kind of what Saul is doing. But look at what happens. It says that the Lord did not answer him. He did not answer him by dreams or by the Urim or by prophets. God fell silent towards Saul. No dreams to interpret. Remember the Urim and the Thummim? They were casting lots, essentially, that would supernaturally be used to determine a direction. Well, guess what? They came up as not applicable every time. And the magic eight ball world, try again, right? And, and it wasn't clear. And the prophets, they had nothing, nothing from the Lord. So what does God, Saul do when God is silent? Does he wait on God? Does he say, no, I'm, let's, let's wait. We're going to seek the direction of God. If he's silent, he'll show up in his timing. No. Saul chose to bypass God. And look at what happens. Verse 7. So then Saul said to his servant, seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go and inquire of her. So now the guy who expelled the mediums is now turning to one. Why? Because God isn't answering his prayers in his time. Now watch what happens. This is funny to me. So when he goes to his servants, he said, find me a medium. They servants said to him, behold, there's one in Endor. Like they knew exactly where they were. Yeah, you kicked them out, but we still knew where they were. We were still consulting with them. And I like the fact that they were in Endor. Maybe she was an Ewok. You know, for you non-Star Wars people, that's where the Ewoks were from, Endor. So verse 8, so Saul disguised himself and he put on other garments and went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night and Saul said, divide for me a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. Now question here, why did Saul disguise himself and why did he come at night? Two, two answers to that. Number one, the city of Endor was actually behind enemy, not lines. It was in Philista, of all places. And so for him to come in with kingly robes would have identified him as a king, as the enemy, and his life would have been demanded of him. So he had to disguise himself. But number two, remember, what did he do early on in his kingship? He expelled the mediums under the threat punishable by death. And so if he comes in looking like Saul, then that medium is going to run. And he really is wanting her input. So he had to disguise himself. Skip down to verse 11. The woman said, 
Whom shall I bring up for you? And Saul said, Bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Now stop there for just a moment. This is crazy, right? I mean, what is going on here? I have so many questions. Questions like, did this woman actually communicate with Samuel, who we learned had passed away and had been dead for a little while? Did she really go to Samuel, or was it some other manifestation? Is this whole medium thing, is it biblical? Is it true? But regardless of what happened, by the way, I'm going to dive into that in just a moment. Regardless of what happened, this lady knew she was talking to Saul. Look what happens next, verse 13. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? That's humorous to me too. Bro, I was resting in peace. Why are you doing this to me, right? And Saul answered, I'm in great distress. The Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more. He's not answering me by the prophets. He's not answering me by the dreams. Therefore, I have come to you. I've summoned you to tell me what I shall do. In other words, I can't wait on God. I have to bypass him. Samuel speaks in verse 16. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he's already spoken to you through me and become your enemy. He's he's torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. In other words, Saul, why are you surprised that God's not answering you? Why is it so shocking to you after years and a track record of ignoring God, of disobeying God, that you're surprised that God's not willing to talk to you, right? There's consequences here to those choices. Then look at what Samuel uh, tells Saul in verse 19. He continues, he says, Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow, the next day, you and your sons shall be with me. In other words, you will die, and your sons are going to die. And the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Saul has given devastating news. You have 24 hours to live. One day. And to sum up the remainder of the chapter, of course, everyone is devastated by this news. And then the the witch winds up feeding them and then they leave and they go on their way. So in this incredible story are a couple of life lessons that I want to highlight for us today. The first life lesson that I want to point out to us is never bypass God. If we learn anything from Saul here, we learn that we, are, we don't need to bypass the Lord. It's never wise to do that. And, and so if I was Saul's consultant, I would say, if God's not speaking, is there a reason 
Is there a reason? Like, do we trust God enough to know that he will reveal himself in the right way and at the right time? And if so, we need to wait on God, not bypass him. But the truth is, is is when we don't see God moving, according to our timetable, what happens? You and I, we're tempted to bypass him. It's true for me. We get impatient. We want to take matters into our own hands. Now, no doubt, Saul had a major problem. The Philistines were, were mounting and setting the stage for a massive attack. And so Saul starts off good. It says in verse 6 that Saul inquired of the Lord. The word inquired here means to ask or to consult. And so he inquired of the Lord through prayer. That's good. He was trying to be sensitive to dreams. That's good. Through the prescribed Urim and Thummim, and finally by seeking a word through the prophets, but the Lord hadn't spoken yet. Now, God's silence here wasn't out of the blue. There's a tendency for us to say, why wouldn't God speak to him? Obviously, there was a sense of urgency here. Why is God being mean to Saul? No, Saul had a history. He had a history of ignoring God and going against his commands. And as a result, the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. That actually happened back in chapter 16. Fast forward 12 chapters, and the the same is, is true, right? So here we are. The consistent and persistent disobedience to God resulted in his silence. Now, we could maybe say that God would have answered Saul. Maybe if Saul would have just been a little more patient, maybe God would have finally answered him. We don't know that. But Saul's fear put him in a place where he couldn't wait on God. He was a desperate man. And in his desperation, he went around God. Have you ever been in a space like that in your life? Where it seems like you're wanting direction from God? He doesn't seem to be speaking. Where your anxiousness and your worry get the best of you and and you need God to speak like yesterday. What do you do in that situation? Well, let me tell you what you don't do. You don't bypass God. You wait on him. But Saul bypassed God. Look again at verse 7. He seeks, he says, seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go and inquire of her. He turns to a medium. And this medium was located in Endor. Now, that's, that's a huge detail. Because Endor, where this medium was, was behind enemy lines. Listen. Whenever and however and if ever you engage the occult, you are always stepping behind enemy lines. Beloved, we are to stay away from such things. We cannot bypass God. We cannot engage in that type of activity. God forbids it, and he couldn't be more clearer. I want to show you in Deuteronomy chapter 18, 9 through 12, God says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these things, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Now, what I want to do 
is these things. Why would God, the, the question is, why would God have this rule? And by the way, God never puts rules into place to try to steal our joy or try to prevent our freedom. God's rules are for our good, for our flourishing. So why would God specifically say these things? And let me begin to answer that question by defining what occult activity is like. Because I think sometimes we have this tendency to say, well, we would never do anything like Saul. I mean, we would never go visit a a psychic or a palm reader or a fortune teller. We would never do that. But here's the deal. Is it possible that we have minimized in our day and time occult activity and have even grown desensitized to it? But what we allow ourselves to watch and to listen to, to observe, to participate in, I think it's very possible. Occult activity includes any means to gain knowledge of the future, to seek information, or to alter reality by communicating with or reading hidden messages and meanings in nature or other patterns. Things like tarot cards, horoscopes, palm readings, Ouija boards, hallucinogenic drugs, the use of psychic powers, and the list goes on and on. And the reason why God forbids this is because, hear me, it invites lies and misdirection and deception, and most importantly, it invites all kinds of spiritual oppression. And so God says, I don't want my people anywhere near it. These things are forbidden. So now I want to go back to my earlier question. What what is happening here? Does this woman actually talk to Samuel who has already passed away for some time? Was it really same? Was it some manifestation, some evil manifestation that masqueraded as Samuel? Is this whole thing biblical? Is it even possible? Well, the way it's written in this text seems to suggest, hear me, I want you to hear me out, that this is indeed Samuel. How can you say that? Well, a couple of things. Number one, the lady reacted to Samuel's presence. She was like, this is Samuel. And whoever that was, if it was Samuel, told her that she's talking to Saul. So whoever that was knew who Saul was, right? Saul seems to dialogue with Samuel. And what Samuel is recorded as saying here references previous conversations between Saul and Samuel. Plus, a prophecy is spoken here about Saul's life being demanded of him in a day. And guess what happens? That comes to fruition. So it seems entirely possible that this is a true encounter with Samuel who had passed away, that this medium had somehow contacted the dead. Is this replicated anywhere else in in the Bible? Is it mentioned? Well, the one thing that comes to my mind is when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and you remember he transfigured himself? Do you remember who was there with him? Moses and Elijah, right? The, The disciples recognized them. As that, so maybe maybe there is there is evidence to support. But then there's also evidence in a parable that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus that there is no movement from the spiritual world into the earthly world. So which is it? Well, I am one hundred percent confident that I do not know. <laughs> but here's the deal. 
Biblically speaking, it is very possible that mediums have the ability to engage the dead. But even if it is true, it's forbidden by God. It's not good. If it is true, then at the very least, he is inv- you are inviting spiritual darkness and impression into your lives when you participate in such. The Bible prohibits this kind of activity, not because it's a sham, not because it's false, but because it invites demonic activity. I guess what I want to say to you is this. There are good and there are safe ways to engage God, which should be our only source of consult. Things like worship and time in God's word and prayer. But there are also unsafe ways to engage the spirit world. And anytime you participate in the occult, you're stepping behind enemy lines and you're opening yourself up for an attack. Don't bypass God. Now, let me make this practical for just a moment here. Because I still think that there's a tendency for at least me to think, I don't participate in those things. Why is this such a major teaching point? Well, let me show you what happened because Saul chose to do this. When he invited demonic and spiritual oppression into his household, it affected his family and it affected his nation. Look at verse 19. He says, moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Whoa. Can't you hear his sons? Wait a minute. We had nothing to do with this. Like, like why are we being punished? Why are we being brought into this? Here's the deal. Listen. Saul's decision had an impact on his family and on his nation. Listen, daddy's in the room. Let me talk to you for just a moment. Your choices matter. The choices we make have consequences. What are we inviting into our homes? What are we inviting into our nation? And does it bother us? Moms too. But I I think men, I think we need to take leadership here. And we need to call spades, spades. And we need to be concerned about what we allow our eyes to see. Where we allow our feet to go. And what we allow is acceptable in our homes. And here's the deal. When I read this story, I'm thinking about what could have been. I mean, Saul and his sons are going to die. But what could have been? I mean, like, what if Saul said, oh, God, you're being silent. It must be because there's sin in my life. I bow my knee before you. I turn from my sin. I turn to you, oh, God. What if he said, you know what? I want to wait on God. God's being silent, but we're going to wait. And even if the people protested that, no, 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 we're not going to move unless God says move. Like, what if he was that kind of man? What if he didn't allow his fear to overtake him, but instead he allowed his faith to overcome his fear? Certainly, that would have impacted his family too, right? 
Don't you think his sons would have said, look at our dad. He's repentant. He's faithful. He's following the Lord. That's the kind of man that I want to be. Do you see that? You see what I'm saying here? Our choices matter. Our decisions matter. And listen, we don't have to be perfect because there's no way you can be perfect. We can't be. But even though we can't be perfect, you know what we can be? Is faithful and repentant and seeking the Lord and patient and listening to his voice and being guided by the Holy Spirit of God. That we can do, even though we are imperfect. What we invite into our homes matters. Don't bypass God. The second life lesson I see here is to make the most of life. Make the most of life. Samuel tells Saul that he's going to die tomorrow. And the question that immediately comes to my mind is this. What would I do if I knew I had one day to live? What would you do if you knew you had one day to live? I would like to think that I would spend it by being more intentional in my relationships. I I think some would say, I want to make sure that I'm right with God. I want to make sure that I give final instructions to to my family. But Saul, Saul didn't do any of that. Instead, he threw a pity party. Poor me. Doesn't even want to eat. What a waste of a day. What would you do if you only had one day to live? Who would you tell about Jesus if you only had one day to live? Because here's the deal. The scripture is full of warnings about not counting on tomorrow. We do not know what tomorrow will bring, scripture says. We do not know that there will even be a tomorrow. The Bible teaches us in the Psalms that we are to learn to number our days. Why? Are we to live in the fear of death? No, we're to live with a sense of urgency because the day matters and we're not promised tomorrow. Now, it is not my objective to try to cause anyone to question their salvation nor is it my desire to try to scare someone into heaven. Quite frankly, those tactics just don't work. You're surrendering to a fear, not a person in, that, in those cases. But I do think it's appropriate to think about the fact of the matter that none of us are guaranteed to make it by lunchtime. What have you done with the personal work of Jesus Christ? Because eternity hangs in the balance. A lasting impact on future generations is at stake. How are you and I living with a sense of urgency? You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 
or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.